Two girls talking. You know what that means. It's time to talk. What's going on in the world? How about your business? How about your life? Let's talk it out. Two girls talking. Hi, guys. It's Anna. And it's Ashley. And we have such an important interview today. If you're driving, pay attention, sit down, whatever you're doing, please listen. This is such an important interview. I am so excited to introduce someone who I've gotten to know very well over the past several months, Dr. Vishaka Desai. She is author of the new amazing, incredible book, World is Family, a story of multi-rooted belongings, which is a vital book for everyone who aspires to connect across borders, both real and perceived, and bring to to fruition the, the ideal of a global family. Vishaka is also senior advisor for global affairs to the president at Columbia University and is former president of, of the Asia Society. Vishaka, welcome to the show today. Welcome. I am thrilled to be with you guys. Wonderful. Oh, we have so much to talk about. So before we talk about the book, World is Family, and really its relation to what's happening in the world right now, today, tell our audience a little bit about yourself and your background. You're Indian, yet you're also American. So let's start there. Well, One of the beauty of America is that actually many of us have hyphenated identity. So indeed, I consider myself Indian, Indian American, American of Indian extraction. So sometimes when people ask me, I say, at least I have six identities. Depends on the context. Sometimes I'm just a girl from Ahmedabad who happens to live in New York. But sometimes I'm really a New Yorker Mm -hmm. who happens to come from Ahmedabad. Sometimes I'm an Asian American, and sometimes I'm an American of Indian descent. Each one of these, I don't say this glibly, but one of the things I try to do in the book is to recognize all of us have this multiplicity in many different ways, and they are contextual, depending on the context. If I meet somebody in Ahmedabad who is a friend of my family, they would always think of me as Ahmedabadi first mm-hmm. in that town that I grew up. But people who know me from Asia society, they would always think of me as somebody who is very Asian Mm -hmm. and who lives in New York. So each one of these are nuances that Mm -hmm. actually we have to think about as to who we are. And as a number of my younger friends and students say, who embody this multiplicity is, say, do you want a long story or the shorter version? So that's what I would tell you, Ashley. What do you want me to tell you? Longer version or the shorter version? Longer version, get it in the book. Yeah, yeah longer version. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I, lo- exactly. I love that. Yes, you yes. know what? For, for our listeners, um, Vishaka, who might not have or be very familiar with the term multiplicity, can you define what it means? Well, what I think about is that if you, if you think of yourself, when you were growing up, you were a daughter of somebody or maybe a son of somebody, okay, that's fine. Then as you grow up and you go to college, then you have another community that you build. Maybe you're passionate about manga, the Japanese cartoons, and your community, you define as really, I'm the one who is really into that. Mm -hmm. Then there is also, as you grow further and you become a parent, then you're a mother, you're a father. Then as you go back to your 
older family, the family you grew up in, you behave in a different way. So the point is we all have different kinds of multiplicity. Some of us like you, Ashley, or Anna, you, we come from one place, we traveled in another place, we live somewhere else. Each time we're embodying different kinds of things into our life. But each time we are exploring in expanding our sense of identity. So multiplicity of identity is really also about expanding and making flexible your sense of evolving identity. Okay, that's so interesting. It's a really great way of thinking about it, you know, because you're right, you know, you, you, who you are at 16 is not who you are at 36. And we, for some reason, seem to accept it when it comes to our age, but it doesn't really, it doesn't really kind of, you know, drill into us when it comes as to who we actually are. Right. Did you see the movie Gloria or Gloria's by mm-hmm. Julie, Julie Taymor on Gloria Steinem? And no, I, I did not see it. No, I know what so you're talking about. You should see that. You should I didn't see, see that. it, no. And it's on Amazon Prime. But what, what Julie did, and I know Gloria well, she's a good friend. And so the, what Julie did was to actually have the younger Gloria talking to the older Gloria when she was doing something else. All of us have that idea of different conversations we have in our head. Yeah. And that is partly how I think about we all really have this variety of ways we look at things. Sometimes they come together, sometimes they get jumbled up, sometimes it's confusing, especially in this day and age where so many of us, you know that there is one in every four person living in the world today on earth lives in a place that they were not born in. Mm. That's how many people are moving from one place to another. Mm. So we, anybody, immigrants by force or otherwise Mm -hmm. have to actually deal with that notion of fluid identity, if you will, because transience, yeah. Yes, exactly. Out of transience creates something new as well, you know. Absolutely, right. We we move our culture, we move our habits, we move our behavior, which becomes new culture. Exactly. New habits and new behaviors. So is this one of the reasons, is one of the driving forces behind your book? I would say that one of the driving forces behind my book and the title, World is Family, has as much to do with the fact that the world is getting more and more interconnected, interdependent. All these words sound big, right? But what COVID shows us is the world lives in our body. When I have a virus in America, it isn't, it may, there may be a variant, but it is pretty much the same as it happens in India or South Africa. So that way we are recognizing that these big words interdependent, mm-hmm. interconnected, actually COVID makes it viscerally it, it does. Right, in exactly. our body. And at the same time, we realize that thinking about the world with more than 7 billion people out there. It's kind of scary and crazy mm-hmm. and abstracted. So if you think about that world with starting the unit of your family, you actually can understand what is it in a functional family we do? Even though this phrase, world is family, by the way, is 3,000 years old. It's mm-hmm. been written in one of the Vedas in India, 1,000 before Christ. Mm-hmm. So not a new idea. 
but how hard it is for us to put it in practice. What COVID taught me this time is the brilliance of the phrase is that we all know what a family is. In a functional family, we actually recognize that we are a single person, but part of a larger unit. That sometimes for the sake of the larger unit, you also have to learn to give and take. You have to kind of let go of things. In order for the family to function, sometimes you also have to learn to rejoice in somebody else's Mm -hmm. success and somebody else's pride. Mm -hmm. When it's dysfunctional, we also know how painful it is. And I would say to you that our global family right now is kind of dysfunctional at the time when we are closer and closer and more interconnected. You know, climate crisis, whether it happens in China or not, it doesn't know any borders. Mm -hmm. COVID doesn't know any borders. And yet we keep fighting for our little patch, our little land, our little place. And I understand why, because we're scared when things begin to get so jumbled up, everybody gets scared. Therefore, sometimes either you get scared and you try to protect the tiny little perch you have, or as people say, when things get tough, tough get going. Mm -hmm. You got to get going. And you Mm -hmm. also say, okay, how do I recognize that you're part of this larger world? And it doesn't mean you give up on your local or national affiliation. That's why the subtitle of the book from World as Family is a journey of multi-rooted belongings. What I mean by that is that we all have these multiple roots. Through that, let's use it to get to another level, which is to expand our sense of consciousness about the world. So I think this particularly relates to the um, coronavirus, the pandemic, and what's happening in India right now. I mean, it is a, it is devastation. It is a crisis. Um, yet it's heartbreaking are, to see it is Heart- heartbreaking. Totally. I mean, yes. it's, I can't, I mean, I get like teary eyed, even just thinking about it, like doctors clean for oxygen. Um, but you know, here in the U S things are opening up again. People are getting their vaccines. We're starting, you know, like my fear is that we're going to forget what's happened and what is still happening in the rest of the world. So with what, like, let's take India for an example, when everything seems to be opening up Broadway, just announced they're opening up in New York city. Yet there is an entire country of billions of people getting impacted by this, how does that relate to seeing the world as family? And like, really, what can we as Americans be doing? Well, you know, the first thing we have to realize is that, yes, you can see that you can get very upset. Mm -hmm. I'm upset. Everybody's upset. At the same time, we also have to step back and say, why does it matter to us? Not just as human beings, which it should, we should feel for other people, but two things. One is, India is the largest producer of vaccines in the world. Oh, I did not know that. And and right now, Germany, France, Bangladesh, and other countries have ordered their vaccines for COVID-19 from India because AstraZeneca is producing their vaccine in India. 
So when India gets completely dysfunctional because of this, guess what? It's in your interest Mm -hmm. to make sure. So that's number one. Number two, the geopolitical importance of India in where US is today, vis-a-vis other parts of the country, other parts of the world, especially China, means that if India goes completely under and becomes impossible to operate in India, it is not in our national security interest. This sounds abstracted, but it's real. It's not, it's the not. Third, there's so many, there's so yeah. many companies outsourcing. Well, that's the other thing. So right. what's going to happen to all the H-1B visa people who are coming here who can't come? Because they are making the American electronic companies possible to function. Every single major company, Microsoft, Amazon, Intel have huge operations in India. So how is that gonna work? So the point I'm making is that even at the emotional level and the television watching level, we could be upset, but we have to recognize that nobody is an island unto himself or herself Mm -hmm, or itself as a country anymore. Mm -hmm. And that is actually the reality. And therefore it is in our strategic interest not just in our kind of emotional responses that we have to pay attention. Why do 40 countries immediately have jumped the gun and sending stuff back there? It's not just because we mean well. Yes, we mean well, that's a good thing. But you also have to do it in your own interest. So partly, I have often said that the time when we used to do it as a kind of altruistic those poor people, we need to right. help them. And we have this, those days are Christians. gone. Christians. Yeah, those yeah. days are gone. This is about our interdependence. So Correct. we have to recognize right. that it is in our interest that the world is safer. So when the Secretary General of the UN says, and I talk about this in the book in, in a fairly detailed way towards the last part of the book. And that is that when he said, this virus teaches us that no one is safe mm-hmm. until everyone is safe. Yep. Right, absolutely. And it took us a long time in this country to recognize that. And when, when we don't recognize it, we pay for it. Mm-hmm. That's the reality. That's well, you my know, fear too. I, I was going to say the exact same thing, Ashley. Yeah, yeah, that's my fear. It's that everything seems to be returning to normal here. And it's like, we're ignoring what's happening in the rest of the world when I really feel like we need to be paying attention. And like, remember when the pandemic first started and Italy was really suffering and my mom, who's an Italian American was like, watch Italy, see what's happening there. We are not, we, we, this is going to be us. Sure enough. It was, you know, and, and it's, I just feel like we're not paying enough attention. I don't know, Anna, were you going to say something similar? Oh, no, I was going to say very, something very similar, but it's all about fear though, too. I feel that fear drives so much of our action. And I don't know if it's the unknowing, perhaps it's not the not knowing, but so many people, I believe, are acting out of fear. You know, um, fear of wanting not to believe what's going on out there. Fear of, I blame you for this. You know, right. the, the attacks that are happening. It's just, you know, I, 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 it's, and, it's fear. And I don't blame them for being scared. Right, right. I think this is what I was just going to say, that 
I think that where does the fear come from? Right. Mm. Fear comes from feeling that something is going to be taken away from you. Absolutely. Fear comes from also feeling that somehow it's a zero sum game. Yes, yes. That if somebody takes this, then it's something from me. And at the same time, if we realize, and I think that's why education has to play a big role mm -hmm. and families have to play a big role to really say to our kids, no matter where they are, that actually by having diversity, by having more open system is in everybody's interest mm -hmm. and figure out how to do that. At the same time, recognize that sometimes it'll be hard. And that is very, very true as well. So I also feel that to some extent, India also is to be blamed in that when we saw the super spreader events in America and what happened in America, people should have paid attention. India and the Indian leaders had a complete arrogant attitude that they had licked it. So as late as in February, they're talking about, oh, we are just fine. We managed it. Our death rates are very low. We don't have to do anything. They start doing big campaign rallies. They have this big religious festival. Mm -hmm. Just as they are being warned that scientists are telling that the new variants are dangerous, they could be coming in. Does that sound familiar in America? not paying attention to science, mm -hmm. not paying attention to super spreader events. And then with India, with three times the population of America, this is what happens. But it is, as, as Como had said, when New York was going through all that trouble in March, and he said, this is a canary in a coal mine. You wait and see what happens elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And it comes through again and again. Mm -hmm. That's So I think that even as we open up in America, I think that people should be a little bit more cautious and reflective and not be so, um, the word I want to use, jingoistic and celebratory yeah. that it's all fine because we don't know enough about variants. Mm -hmm. And yes, I really think that we can manage it, but let's take the lesson also from India as India should have taken the lesson from America. Well, I think anybody who's jingoistic has blinders on anyway, about anything, jingoistic yeah. about anything, let alone, you know, this, this crisis. Um, let's talk about racism. What do yeah. you think, Ash? So, I, I, so this is, yeah, this, this is a kind of a segue, like, you know, talking about COVID, but on top of a pandemic, America especially has been dealing with racism. Uh, we're living in a time of very deep division in our country. Uh, you know, recently there's been an increase in Asian hate crimes. We've had George Floyd, uh, police brutality against black people. Um, you know, in the last year, violence against Asian Americans in particular has jumped 150% since the start of the pandemic. Uh, what is causing this? And like, what are we not seeing here as it relates to world as family? Well, I think first of all, just let's recognize that here we are in the month of May, which is supposed to be the Asian Pacific Heritage Month yes. to celebrate Asian Americans. Yes. And if you look at the history of the Asian Pacific Heritage Month, you recognize that that month was chosen more because of the American experience of Asians coming here. So it has to do with the railway workers, 
in the Northern California. It has to do with the Japanese coming as farmers, all in the late 19th century. And what we are recognizing is that as Asian Americans, one thing that we don't pay attention to is that that hyphenated word, often people somehow think it's not together, not connected, that somehow Asians are more Asians than Americans. And therefore they are the other. And I have to say, it's because they don't fit the Euro-American model of mm. what Americans should look like. And therefore we have to recognize that one of the beauties of this country is that when immigrants come, and this is a late Vartan Gregorian, a great scholar, um, a major figure, and he, who was an Iranian American, and he had said that, let's not forget that every single immigrant who comes to America learns how to be American and in the process changes the definition of what it means to be American. So think about that. At the same time, here are Asians who somehow are always seen as not American enough. Mm. And the otherness of anybody, once you put them in that category of not like us, the other, you can make them exclusionary. You can put them away. What Asian Americans and African Americans share is not being humanized enough in the same mm. way. Now, histories are very different. They themselves have complicated relationship between Asian Americans and African Americans. But I would say that the root of all of this is that we have not expanded the definition of what it means to be American to the extent that non-white people in this country can be seen as Americans. And I think that, so we have to change our definition of America to fit the reality of what America is. And at the same time, I would say it's ironic that of all the countries, we pride ourselves in having hyphenated identities, but we don't give enough credence to both part of our identities. Mm -hmm. So I may be culturally rooted in India, but I am committed, I'm as passionate about issues that affect us in this country. And I feel that therefore Asian Americans need to be as affected and offended by George Floyd's murder as they would be around oh. their own violence. Right? I think all humans should have been offended. Exactly, exactly. By that. I and, mean, my goodness. And young people oh, yeah. came out big time. Mm -hmm. So I have a lot of faith in young people. I think that they recognize also because there's more and more of them actually are bicultural, Absolutely. oftentimes in the census, they don't declare their races, you know, as to who they are. Mm -hmm. So I think that there is something going on that will affect change. At least I'm hopeful. You know? I think so. I mean, I, I feel a change um, in the air when we're talking about the issues we're talking about. Can you feel it? I mean, in the times before, the uh, Eric Brown, uh, the Michael Brown, the Eric Garners, in mm -hmm. the past, there have been uprisings, but this is the mm -hmm. first time really the first time in a very long time right. that 
people of all ages and and colors, you know, including white people, black people, all sorts of people came together and they said, this is enough. And they were led by the young people. Now I know that every single generation believes that they're going to make their mark on the world and every single generation does. When you're in the midst of it, you think you're the only one who's going through it. But the reality is that every single generation has made their mark on this country and in this world. But this is the first time being led by young people that people of all ages, women, blacks, whites, yellows, browns, greens, purples, uh, every kind of sexual category out there uh, came together and said, enough, this is it. They're getting pushback. Yeah, but I abso- think that for course. the first time, this right. is the one that's going to continue. And I think what's interesting, and as an academic, I always pay attention to how else do we pay attention to this particular phenomenon. And almost all studies, global studies, show us that the Generation Z, who are all not beyond millennials, so they are people who were born at the end of the last century, beginning there are of kids. this century. They're, right, they're exactly. kids. Exactly, yeah. exactly. That large majority are much more tolerant of different kinds of people. They really care passionately about environment as a global Mm. and a local issue. They They really believe in migration or immigration bigger than other people. So what is happening is that because the world is in their palm, right? I mean, even a three-year-old knows how to use a cell phone and Mm -hmm. what to do with it and access the world. So as a result, these global natives, as I call them in the book, uh, are naturally inclined to think about world and them. Now they can also create a clique, that's very true. And we know that in the global North, actually kids are much more cliquish than in the global South. Global South, people use the electronic media to expand their horizon because their horizon sometimes is too limited. Mm -hmm. In the global North, in America, it is more and more people just talking to their small clique. Mm -hmm. However, the potential is there. And so as parents, we really have to think about how do we nurture this natural proclivities that these young people have? How do we give them stories that are different from where they grew up? How do they connect them to people who are different from them? How do you actually give them experiences early in their childhood that would allow them to see the world with different pair of eyes? And I think once you begin to do that, they naturally will incline, be inclined to think of the world in a bigger way because they're already halfway there. It's the parents who have to do the work, you know? Yeah. What's, I mean, I'm just so curious in your opinion, what's, what's changed? Like what's made that click like for the generation Z that our previous generations didn't have? Well, lots of, I mean, there's lots of studies done on this and I touch on that a little bit, but I think it has to do with communication. Mm-hmm. It does, that the fact is that some 50% of the world's population has smartphone. Yeah. Even an Indian villager has a GPS mm-hmm. that they can go and get a fish, you know? So therefore the world is in that palm. That's number one. Number two, the movement of people. People are moving in a much more rapid fashion, Mm -hmm. even though in America, that kind of mobility is slowing down, which is sort of interesting. Mm -hmm. But other people are still coming to the world. 
to this part of the world. And climate crisis is going to just create more people moving by necessity. They don't have a choice. So that's a second element. And I think that that idea of access to the world is much more open. And therefore, there's also to do with the economic kind of integration of the world. Now, yes, there's going to be some backlash to that, rightly so, things will change, but it's never going to go back to completely not having supply chain, you know? Yeah. So yeah. There's the economic, there is the people movement, there's a the communication movement. All of this lends itself to people think about the world in a very different way for young people. So Vishaka, um, last question here. What for all of our listeners who I think that hopefully like this has been like amazingly mind blowing to them as it was when I first read your book. What are steps that our listeners can take today to start seeing the world as family? If they're just kind of having this awakening after listening to you and they're like, where do I start? The first start is that as somebody said to me the other day, to be globally conscious, first become locally conscious. And what that means is that every good step begins at home. Uh, It began in my home, in my own family. And I write about it in the book. Mm -hmm. So that when I saw my parents adopting a daughter of one of my mother's good friend who had died and she became part of our family, even though we had seven kids already, that says something to me. Mm -hmm. At the same time, also allowing lots of different kinds of discussions meeting different kinds of people, especially now in this country, first thing is to really inculcate the sense of empathy within our children. So that we are so focused often on the me generation, the self-expression. Let's remind our kids and train them that self has also to be seen in the context of others. Mm -hmm. So as I call the independence, has to be part of the interdependence. And how do you teach that? How do you teach them to be responsible? How you affect other people is an important question. All of that and learning stories, seeing films, going for experiences, meeting people who are really different from you and having conversations. That is beginning the part of curiosity, empathy and understanding. And all of these, by the way, OECD has defined as key characteristics of global competence. So you start there and then go beyond it to think about how do you think about something you see from Japan, from India, from Africa? How can you talk about those families? Mm -hmm. What is it that you have they don't have or they have that you don't have? And try to create a sense of reciprocity in that sense. I think all of these are things we have to do it consciously and not so much pedantically. And I I make a difference because I know that if you shove it down kids' throats, they're not going to listen to you. But it is to make it fun and interesting. And sometimes they might not want to. I mean, I know in my family, there were some things that our parents asked us to do. We don't want to do it. But my God, I'm so glad we did it when mm-hmm. we were young there's so a that's fine the line there's yeah. a fine line trying to teach that to your kids i've been trying to teach my daughter to to love reading the way i did and my son too and it was only because my daughter saw this book on tiktok right of course 
Yeah, that she that she read it. And guess what? She loved it. Yesterday I was picking her up from school and she was telling me about it and she was like, oh, I'm tearing up just thinking about it. And that was fabulous. I wanted and to you cry know just what? thinking my, how happy she was. And I have to tell you that my older sister almost 25 years ago, more than that, I guess 30 years ago, before they had children, she decided she was not going to have television in the mm. house. It just would not have television. Those two kids today say the most important thing they did is that they instilled love of books because it wasn't a go-to thing. If a babysitter came, a caretaker came, they couldn't put you in front of TV. And as a result, they both have such love of reading. And so sometimes, and at the same time, when they went to other people's homes, they couldn't wait to see television. And my sister said, okay, let them do that over there, but not at home. And that was it, you know? Mm -hmm. So sometimes it will be kind of, it's kind of crazy because today it wouldn't make a difference, but uh, people do things like that just to sort of create an atmosphere in yeah. which other things make possible. Yeah, flourish. You know? yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. This has been so amazing, Vishaka. Like what a gift you are to share your wisdom with our listeners. Where can we find more information about uh, your book, World is Family? The World is Family is published by Columbia University Press. And if you go through this particular site, your podcast, you can get it 20% off on the Ooh. Columbia University Press website. Yay. So there is a code that you should put in so we can give to them. And, yes, I and, and also it's in. available on Amazon. Um, and so people can go there too. And independent bookstores, it's available now. So that's just started. So, and I want to hear from all of your readers, not all, some maybe, um, if there are more questions, because my purpose in writing World as Family is to really be a catalyst for conversations mm. exactly like this. Mm -hmm. It is less about my story, but more about the story that can actually open up a way of thinking about the world. Right, right. Thank you yeah, so and much. thank you. Yeah, and thank you for giving us an opportunity to really to have this conversation. Yes. And I really agree with you, Vishaka. It does, your book does open up the door to have more of these conversations about what it means to be global. I've even personally been thinking more about it in my own life. And so just really honored to have you here to share this with our audience too. And I hope everybody picks up a copy of your book. I know. Thank you so much. I've I've, I've never met you before, but I totally just love everything you're saying. Well, it's this is the ways also for me to meet new people like you, Anna. <laughs> and you and what a pleasure it is to talk to both of you. Thank but, you. Thank you for thank being you. with us. Super. And listeners, please, I hope you enjoyed this as much as we have, because Ash and I have really enjoyed it. All right, listeners, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening.